Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, and ask the congregation to stand as we will first pray and then read the Word of God. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen your servant to deliver a word of power so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 6, the NASB says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Please be seated. So the title of my sermon today is The Tree and the Chaff. Last time the sermon called The Tree, we answered one question. We answered, how do you know your faith is authentic? Today we're going to answer the same question. How do you know your faith is authentic, but provide two distinct answers? So let's begin. The blessed person is like a tree that yields its fruit in its season. This tells us that fruitfulness is the essential quality of a saved person. What does that mean? What does fruitfulness mean? We're going to make a connection to the New Testament. In the New Testament, fruit means righteous character traits. They're the essences of being that you develop in pursuit of, in imitation of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 20, 2 to 23, the Apostle Paul tells us what fruits of the Spirit are. He says it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit also includes personal holiness, Romans 6, verse 22. Fruit includes good works, Colossians 1.10. Fruit includes ministry, Romans chapter 1, verse 13. Fruit includes stewardship, Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 28, and fruit includes praising God, Hebrews 13, verse 15. So how do you know your faith is authentic? I would write this down. How do you know your faith is authentic? You check your fruit, because fruit is the test of salvation. So what does this mean? Let's expound on this. How do you know your faith is authentic? You check your fruit. When you are saved, when you are born again, 
What that means is that the Holy Spirit descends upon your heart, descends upon your being, and regenerates your heart. And you go from being someone who is unsaved, who does not profess faith in Jesus Christ, to being saved. You go from being someone who walks the way of the wicked to the way of the godly. You are operatively regenerated and born again now that you profess faith in Jesus Christ. And when God descends upon your human entity, your human being, a human being can never come face to face with God and leave that encounter unchanged. By logical necessity, when God descends in you, through you, and on you, you're never going to leave that experience the same way you were beforehand. So when we are born again, when you have an intimate relationship with God, you are going to bend, God won't. And as a part of that transformation from the inside out, you have to change. Because how do you know your faith is authentic? You check your fruit. That is the sign, that is the tangible way of quantifying the Spirit is working in you and through you. Because in 21st century America, saying you are saved or saying you have faith in Jesus Christ and actually being saved and actually doing the things that manifest from being regenerated are two completely different things. So how do you know with certainty your faith is authentic? You check your fruit. Authentic faith is never gauged by which denomination you belong to. Authentic faith is never gauged by how you vote, red or blue. Authentic faith is never gauged by which way you go in a protest line, right or left. That is not how you gauge authentic faith. So how do you know your faith is authentic? You check your fruit. Now the blessed person is like a tree that yields its fruit in its season. What does this mean? A blessed person is like a tree that yields its fruit in its season, which tells us that number one, fruit is expected and fruit is also timely. Fruit is expected and fruit is timely. So fruit is expected. Let's think about this for a second. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, think about the planter, not yourself. Let's think about this for a second. The blessed person is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. If you are the gardener, if you are the caretaker, if you are the tree planter, God, and they dig out a hole for your tree, they dig out rivers of water, they make sure there's appropriate sunlight, they make sure there are no animals that are going to disturb you. And you are the tree planter, and you plant that tree in the ground. Let's say you're a, an apple tree. You're supposed to bear fruit. What is that tree planter going to think if he takes the time, if he takes the effort, if he takes the energy to firmly plant you into the ground and he comes back a year later and finds out that his apple tree has not produced any apples. What happens if it's a warm summer day and God is expecting to bite into a nice, juicy, crisp apple that is sweet and is refreshing? 
but instead he gets a mushy apple or he gets a bitter apple or he gets an apple that's diseased on the inside and has a worm inside of it, a fruit that's angry at God. What do you think the planter will think? What will the gardener think if he invested his time and energy and got a fruitless tree? We don't have to speculate because God actually tells us. Mark 11. I'm going to set the story up. So in Mark 11, Jesus sees a fig tree in the distance. The tree has leaves. And this is not an incidental detail. In Palestine at the time, whether it was in season or out of season, if a tree had leaves, that was the absolute principle by which a person could tell if the tree had figs. So this tree was advertising to the world, hey, I have figs. Jesus walks up to the tree and sees only leaves. He doesn't see any fruit. He doesn't see any figs. And what is Jesus' response? He curses the tree so that it withers and dies. The fig tree had all the outward signs. It advertised itself as a tree that was going to be fruitful, of a tree that had something of value. But when God comes up to it and actually closely scrutinizes this tree, there are no figs. They call this a hard saying of Jesus because it's a brutal reality. It's a hard pill to swallow. And that hard pill is this. Christians must bear fruit or be cast down. Because the blessed person is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. The Lord has a controversy with someone this morning. Not over what you have done, but what you have not done. Let's break this down. Jesus didn't get angry at the fig tree because it produced leaves. He got angry at the fig tree over what it did not do, bear fruit. Listen, in 21st century America, Christianity is obsessed with moralism. Oh, if you do that, you're bad. If you do that, you're wicked. If you do that, you're a sinner. But guess what? Sin is no match for the cross. Any sin you will ever commit is paid for in full by the atonement of Jesus on the cross. That's not encouraging you to sin. That's telling you Jesus already died to set you free from your sin. Now that the debt has been paid, how are you going to respond to being set free? You are now a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And our response is what? To bear fruit. Because God's controversy with you is not with what you have done. He's already taken care of what you've done. His gripe now is what you have not done. The lack of bearing fruit because Jesus already dropped the charges. Now that we are free, how will we respond? And the probing question we can do 
to search ourselves based on Mark 11 is to ask ourselves one question. What are you doing for Christ? What tangible thing that's measurable are you doing, are you executing that benefits and edifies God's people? What is it that you're doing, that you're actually doing in real life that benefits other people? Let me ask you a question. Do trees ever eat their own fruit? They don't. Trees aren't cannibals. The benefit of a tree is that it's valuable and productive to other people. A tree can provide shade for a weary traveler. A tree can provide fruit to a man or a woman who's hungry after a long day. A tree can provide the foundation upon which a bird can pitch its nest. The definition of a tree's value is how it benefits others because trees never eat their own fruit. And when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, like kindness, like gentleness, like patience, that is always something which is beneficial to other people. A prosperity gospel says you should be a selfish tree and consume your own fruit. That is 100% absolutely wrong. If we actually look into Psalm 1, we must either bear fruit or be cast down. And the barometer by which we can determine our fruitfulness is not how it benefits us. It's how it benefits someone else. Because trees never eat their own fruit. Okay. You're telling yourself, okay, preacher, you beat me up. You've made me feel bad. Now I feel like I've done something wrong and God gave me homework and I got an F. So, Mr. Smarty Pants, you tell me. If God has a gripe with me over what I have not done, then how do I grow spiritual fruit? I'm gonna, I would write this down. The way you grow spiritual fruit is you don't focus on the fruit. You focus on your roots. One more time. The way you grow spiritual fruit is you don't focus on the fruits. You focus on your roots. Spiritual fruit comes by your cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So when you are saved and when you have a sanctifying relationship with God, you and every step that you take in life is a cooperative work in your prayer life, in your devotional life, in meditating on the Word. So you growing spiritual fruit never happens by yourself. It happens with you walking with God, growing step by step every day. So that's the best answer to the question, how do I grow spiritual fruit? Now, in order to be more productive, in order to be more fruitful, you have to focus on your roots. Think about this for a second. The fruit is literally at the end chain of life on a tree. A tree works by having roots. There's an anchor. There's a system of nourishment. It takes up nutrients. It takes up water. It takes up nourishment from the soil. It goes up the trunk. It's nourished by sunlight and all types of nourishment from the environment. And it puts all of that together. And then at the end of a branch, when it synthesizes all of those nutrients, 
What results is a fruit. The fruit is the end result of an entire process that begins in the roots. So if you are looking to be more spiritually productive and to yield more fruit, it begins by growing your roots. It begins in your prayer life. It begins in your tithing. It begins in your fasting. It begins in you meditating on the Word of God. Because here's a little insight for you. Little trees are little because they have little roots. Big trees are big because they have big roots. In order for a little tree to go to a big tree, it doesn't say, you know what, I want to be a big tree. No, it says, I'm going to grow my roots. It establishes an anchor and a system of nourishment which now allows it to grow. So here's a practical piece of advice. It doesn't matter what you are doing in your Christian life. If you want to do something better, you don't start with that thing. You start with your roots. If you want to preach better, your preaching is capped by how good your devotional life is. If you want to be a better mother, if you want to be a better singer, if you want to be a better elder, if you want to be a better teacher, if you want to be a better Christian business person, your success is always capped by how strong your devotional life is because little trees are little because they have little roots and if you want to grow you have to focus not on the fruits you have to focus on your roots because the fruits are an end result of a process and growth beneath the surface growth that's invisible that other people can't necessarily see always comes before growth above the surface. So how do you know your faith is authentic? You check your roots. And you check your fruit. Because fruit is the test of salvation. Now, the blessed person is like a tree that yields its fruit in its season, which tells us that fruit is also timely. Yielding your fruit in season also tells us that there will be times out of season when we will bear no fruit, which means the changing degrees of productivity in our Christian life is what, according to Psalm 1, normal. There will be periods of high productivity, high fruitfulness, and periods of no fruitfulness, and that is 100% absolutely positively normal because a lack of fruitfulness never means a lack of life because this tree's leaves will never ever wither and because of the providence of God working in and around your tree God's providence which is precise which is punctual and is prepared it's gonna make sure you yield fruit which is timely which means patience in the time of suffering not anxiety in the time of suffering. It means faith in the day of trial, not doubt in the day of trial. It means gratitude in the hour of prosperity, zeal in the moment of opportunity, peace in season of war, kindness in times of strife, and self-control in the hour of temptation. Because how do you know your faith is authentic? You check your fruit. Now here's the second answer 
to this sermon's central question. How do you not know your faith is authentic? How do you not know your faith is authentic? You check your feelings. Because feelings are subjective and defined by us. Fruits are objective and defined by God. One more time, this is important. How do you not know your faith is authentic? You check your feelings. Because feelings are subjective and they're defined by us. Fruits are objective and defined by God. The devil is a master at manipulating human emotions and creating wonderful experiences. So if you fall into the trap of chasing after how you feel on the inside or a wonderful experience, you may soon find yourself falling into the devil's trap. Because the Bible even tells us the human heart works to deceive us. So if we trust that which is trying to deceive us, we may find ourselves in trouble. Here's a question for the church to contemplate, to think about. Why do you think the age of miracles is over? Jesus comes on the scene. He does a, a, a high concentration of miracles. He turns water into wine. He walks on water. He raises people from the dead. He imbues the apostles, the special type of authority, and they do magical works and wonders. But it's not magic, it's the Holy Spirit. Why do you think that age is over? Why do you think we don't have uh, newfound apostles raising people from the dead? Why is that? Because God knows fully well in creating a uh, awe-inspiring experience where people are awed by signs and wonders. If that becomes a habitual, repeated pattern, after a point, people are going to start chasing after the experience. They're going to start chasing after the signs and wonders and not after the one who really matters, which is Jesus Christ. The devil is a master at manipulating our feelings. He can fake signs and wonders. He can fake awe-inspiring experiences and make you feel wonderful. He can speak in tongues and masquerade as something spiritual. And you want to have a, a truth bomb dropped right now? If you wanted to feel good, do you know what you could do? You could sin. If you wanted to have an awe-inspiring spiritual experience where you see and hear things that are otherworldly, drugs can mimic that. That's not to be a joke. That's something to be real. Because if you trust in your feelings and experiences, you can be tripped up and put off balance. The, the devil is a lying loser. He is a spiritual degenerate. It's in his nature to lie. He couldn't produce fruit if he tried because he's a liar. He can't exude gentleness. He can't exude self-control. He can't exude kindness because he is the very definition of evil. The devil can never, ever fake fruit. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells us, he says, How will you know these guys are the real deal? How will you know my prophets? By their fruits. 
because you're going to have a lot of guys who are fakers who are doing all these wonderful signs and wonders dazzling everybody and Jesus say I never knew you you who practice lawlessness the devil can never ever fake fruit so how do you know your faith is authentic you check your fruit do you know why it's called fruit of the Holy Spirit because they're fruits of the Holy Spirit only the Holy Spirit can actually empower you enable you equip you to yield fruit which is why they're the objective measurement defined by God himself to know your faith is authentic so how do you know your faith is authentic you check your fruit because the godly person like a tree bears spiritual fruit because of their proximity to the life-giving source of the Spirit of God and how do you not know your faith is authentic you check your feelings because feelings are subjective fruit are objective Now the text tells us in everything the blessed person does he prospers and the Hebrew word for prospers is grander than it is in English it means succeeds in everything not just success in health not just success in finances not just success in ministry but soul prosperity in every arena of life and shall prosper tells us this person is always fruitful always useful always productive to God so that's the blessed person that's the tree that is fruitful now the chaff go back to Psalm 1 verses 4 to 6 say but the wicked are not so they are not like the blessed person who is like a tree but they are like chaff that the wind drives away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish so the wicked are not so but they are like chaff so what are chaff I'm gonna tell you and I have some pictures here to help you conceptualize what it is I'm talking about when you talk about agriculture whether it's any type of grain like wheat or barley it grows up in a stalk and the thing that's useful that you can actually use to make bread or porridge which is the grain it grows up with the chaff around it the chaff is something which is very light and it's something very very airy but the chaff has no use the point of farming and cutting down stalks and going through a process is to get to the grain that's the thing that gives you life and feeds you so what farmers would do after they would cut their crops whether it's wheat or barley or what have you they have to go through two processes the first is threshing threshing is basically blunt force trauma where a farmer would take a bat or some kind of broom and literally beat the stalk until he has nothing left and that's gonna separate the kernel the thing that's actually valuable from the flaky outer covering that's threshing sometimes an animal can walk on the threshing floor to separate it by pressure now comes winnowing winnowing involves someone taking a winnowing fork digging the fork into the threshed uh, stalks throwing it up up in the air and now what happens 
because the grain has weights, because it has, has some substance to it, it falls to the ground. But the chaff, because it's light and airy and flaky and worthless, it is blown away into oblivion by the wind. John the Baptist actually called Jesus the one who carries the winnowing fork because he's the one who takes the fork, digs it into the stalk, throws it up into the air, the godly grains fall, and the chaff float away like a mist or a vapor. Now, why did I go through all that? To explain to you one thing, the purpose of this entire process is to get to the grain. The farmer has no use for the chaff. There are no secondary uses. You can't use it for arts and crafts. It is good literally for nothing. If I gave you 10 billion pounds of chaff, do you know how much that would be worth? Zero dollars. In fact, you would now have to pay someone to get rid of that chaff for you because the chaff are worthless. And the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. I have spent three and a half sermons talking to you about the blessed person, the godly person, because the text is so rich, it's so deep with content, with what God is trying to explain to us about the blessed person. But when it comes to describing the chaff, there's no deeper meaning. There's no glorious theological implications to draw from the text because at the end, there really isn't that much to say because no matter what lifespan a chaff goes through, its end is always the same. It ends in destruction. It ends to be cast away. There is no hope. There is no life. The chaff have no life. They have no roots and thus no anchor, which is why they fly away in the wind. The chaff are driven by the wind into uncertainty, into meaningless. When the wind carries them away, who knows where they'll end up. That's in contrast to the tree that's firmly planted. God always knows where that tree is. The chaff bear no fruits. They don't yield any value. They're unproductive. And the chaff are unsubstantial. They're useful only for waste. A chaff is concerned with growing leaves. A tree is concerned with growing fruit. A chaff is concerned with how I look on the outside. A tree is concerned with how my heart looks to God. A chaff is concerned with the approval of the world. A tree is concerned with having the favor of the king, the favor of the king of kings. For the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Now the last verse of Psalm 1, verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The righteous go away that the Lord knows. There's an intimacy. There's an association. So when a righteous person meets God in judgment, he'll say, nice to see you again. He won't actually say that, but you get the point. There'll be a, an awareness, a relationship there because God knew them before the foundation of the world. But when it comes to the wicked, there's no relationship. And isn't it ironic that for someone who walks the way of the wicked, the closest they'll ever get to God, the most intimate they'll ever be with God is in judgment. 
And what will God actually say to them? He'll say, going back now to Matthew 7, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because the God is unfamiliar, doesn't have a relationship with the wicked, but he knows the way of the righteous. He's counted the hairs on your head, and in my case, the hairs on your beard. You may be saying to yourself, but wait a minute, preacher man. I live in real life. And real life sometimes informs me that evil people do flourish. Evil people do succeed. Evil people in many areas of my life seem to be winning. And you're right. In many cases, they'll be winning now. They'll be winning in the present. But as I keep saying over and over and over again, the present doesn't matter more than eternity. Eternity matters more than the present. And although the chaff, although the wicked may be winning now, anything that they do, any success that they have, it doesn't matter how much they win, in quotes, how much they win now. Their fate is always the same, cast out into outer darkness and to be destroyed. So cast your eyes not on the present, but on eternity. For when the, when the wicked person drinks their sweet drink, within that drink there's poison. When the wicked person gets blessed, at the core of that blessing is a curse. The wicked person writes their name on the sand, but the person who is righteous, the person who is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, writes their name on the rock. Which shall never be shaken, and which shall never be moved, because the way of the wicked will not maybe, will, certainty, absolutely guaranteed, will perish. Now in closing, as I was doing Bible study this past week, I was reading Revelation 22. And I found it so ironic that in the last chapter of the Bible, the Apostle John talks about a tree the tree of life which awaits us in heaven, which he saw in a vision thousands of years ago. So Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2, says the following. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street, on either side of the fruit, I'm sorry, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, isn't this glorious? We have Psalm 1, a tree firmly planted by streams of water. In Revelation 22, you have a tree by river. In Psalm number one, we have a, a tree that can only produce one type of fruit. In Revelation 22, we have a tree that makes 12 different types of fruits. 
In Psalm 1, we have a tree that only yields its fruit in season. Now there's a tree which yields all these different types of fruits every month. What is the point? The point is this. When you walk the way, when you choose to walk in obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you will have the blessed experience now. But that pales in comparison to the weight of glory God has in store for us. It's a comparison that is so incomprehensibly unconquerable. Uncomprehensible. Human words can't describe it. Where there is perfect love, perfect peace, perfect intimacy, being face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I leave you with this word of hope. When you choose to walk the way, you may feel run down, you may feel bad, but when you have chosen to profess faith and walk in the way, walked by our Lord and Savior, it may feel from time to time that you're losing the race. It may feel from time to time as if you're getting beaten up in the fight, but we are all signed up for a fight that is fixed. It's a race that is fixed where you are guaranteed to win. When you walk in the way of Jesus Christ, you are a winner now, forever, and eternity. So as we close our exposition of Psalm number one, I implore the church to study the text, to meditate on it day and night, to walk the way, to check your roots, to check your fruit, and to burn your chaff. For blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. But the wicked, they are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. For the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you for listening to this sermon by Dr. Sadafa. For more valuable content and resources, please visit wcsk.org.